Amen. Have a seat. Good morning, church. Good morning, Jerry. We love you, man. Uh, hey, good morning. If you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful everyone is here today. And I'm really glad that we're all here today in particular because we kind of have a special treat today. Um, I've asked one of our members to um, share his testimony. And so, Robert, why don't you come on up here? Uh, here's going to be your mic. Just flip that switch. You know, he's a tech guy. I'm trying to tell him how the mic works, right? Uh, but um, today, um, not to kind of spoil it, but we've really been talking a lot about our community um, and what we're going to do. But God also tells us to, to go and make disciples, right? And so um, Robert in particular, um, I asked him to share his testimony to kind of bring not just me preaching today and not just kind of proclaiming things that are true in Scripture, but to really put a, a face to someone we love, to someone who gives so much to our church, who um, is, is now doing amazing things for the Lord, um, but whose testimony didn't start there. Um, without someone coming to him and sharing the gospel, um, I don't want to spoil it, right? Uh, so, Robert, let me, let me pray for you, because it's kind of a big deal to stand in front of this many people and, and share some of the most intimate things of your life. Um, it's, it's kind of tough. So I'm going to pray for Robert, and then um, he's going to bless us with his testimony today. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gathering today. Um, God, you, clear, you just so clearly communicate in your word that when your, your body gathers, it is a special thing. When your bride gathers, it is a special thing for us to glorify you, to worship you, and for you to just mold and shape and change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, God, I'm, I'm thankful today that we get to hear Robert speak, um, to get, so, get to see so tangibly the, the true power that, that you bring, that you offer to those who would just turn and believe, the things that you can redeem from and change and mold and shape. It's just amazing that you turn such ugly things at times into things of such beauty. And so, God, I pray you'd be with Robert today to help him not to feel stress or, or worry about any of this, but just share you, just, just glorify you and worship you and the things that he shares that you have done and that we'd all be blessed by it, we'd all grow, grow by it, and we'd all want to worship you because of it. God, thank you for um, Robert. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So here goes. <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, I, I really love this church. I'm so thankful to, to God for bringing me to this place in life where I, I find myself now, but also to bring me to Freshwater Church. And um, I really, like my hope is that this testimony would bring us all closer together, maybe uh, also give a little understanding of, of some, kind of some of the gifts that I have, some of the, you know, the ability that maybe God has given me just based on the life that I had uh, to show the glory of God, of course, through my story and through, you know, where I've come from and where I'm at now. And so uh, uh, it's not an easy one to tell, but I mean, I've told it a lot at this point, so I'll just get started um, I think it's important to know that growing up as a, as a young child, when I was, you know, about like up to the age of 12, I was, you know, I had a really good family, like really good uh, memories of Christmas time, of uh, birthdays and Thanksgiving and, you know, my family being together. And um, also kind of within that, I realized that, you know, as kids, we don't really understand fully what's going on in our family. We don't really, our picture of what it, what it looked like might be a little different than what it actually was. Um, so one kind of important point about my, my testimony that I'll mention is that, you know, my dad growing up uh, was not a believer, first of all, um, whereas my mom was. Her whole side of the family, uh, my grandmother is 88 years old, 
God bless her, and she she has been a faithful follower of Jesus for, I mean, forever, you know. Uh, but my dad, within all that, he, uh, he refused to allow my mom to go to church. He refused to, to let me go to church. Um, and so um, this is something I didn't really realize until a couple of years ago. So it kind of plays into the story, so I just like to mention it before I kind of dig into, you know, what led up to all this, what brought me here and all that stuff. And so uh, about the age of 12, um, We've been in Arkansas for a couple of years. We, I grew up, I was born in California and lived there till the age of 10. Um, all the Rodney King riots and stuff like that happened, and so my family moved out to Arkansas, um, which I loved because we were out in the country, and, like, it was awesome for a young boy, you know. But um, kind of, uh, you know, within all of that, there was a lot of, of things that really kind of weren't, weren't good either, right? And so... Uh, one of my older sisters, she she met a guy, um, and and so, well, first of all, you know, I was kind of like an awkward kid. Um, I liked to, or I didn't like to, but I, I had a tendency to really kind of bend myself and what I believed was good and right to, you know, like, to be accepted by people, right? Because I was, I just was an awkward kid. I think most people could probably relate to that, but um, so that in mind, you know, here comes this guy. He's like, really influential, like my sister obviously loves him, so I want to be close to him, I want him to, you know, accept me, basically, and so, uh, uh, of course, I, like, kind of just followed right along with him, and so, I mean, he was a gang member, he was, uh, he liked to drink alcohol, smoke marijuana, so pretty much at the age of 12, it's like, it's like I'm fully dove into just getting drunk every weekend, to uh, smoking, smoking pot pretty much every day, um, you know, at the age of 12, this is, is kind of inhibiting of, like, growing and, uh, you know, learning how to live and all these kind of things, um, and that went on for a couple years, for, for about three years, and then at the age of 15, my sister, my other sister, she, uh, got together with this guy, who was even more of an influential type person. He was, uh, you know, it's really big, like country guy, and he had four-wheelers and guns, and, like, he was super cool, you know, but he also cooked meth. And so uh, he made it very clear that, like, you know, being involved with him was pretty much, like, you're going to do meth and you're going to sell meth, and that's, that's who you're going to be if you're going to be in my circle. And, I, of course, I thought that's what I wanted, right? And so... You know, at the age of 15, here comes the meth addiction, like full head on, like this steady supply of meth in my life and absolutely no direction otherwise. Like every, everything I saw in front of me was that lifestyle. Um, about like eight months later, my mom had come to a point where, you know, she couldn't continue in the marriage with my dad. Uh, so she divorced my dad. I was probably a little, little before my 16th birthday. Um, and of course, like being that age, like I don't understand what's going on. I didn't know my dad wasn't a believer. I didn't know he was uh, abusive. I didn't know he was, you know, not allowing us to go to church and all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't understand. I saw my mom basically gave up on our family and my dad left. My dad just freaked out and he, I didn't see him again for like 12 years after this happened. So, um, basically I'm at this point where like this addiction is really like taking over my life and, Everybody I love just abandoned me, and my mom, 
like tried to keep a relationship, tried to keep us together, but of course I blamed her for the divorce and for like I felt like she gave up on us. And so uh, unfortunately I just wasn't in a place to even be able to forgive or be able to accept any of this or even really understand what it was. And so uh, that's really like, I kind of told all that in detail because that's really what like jumps off the next 24 years of my life. So pretty much from that, I mean, literally, it's just a life of addiction, right? I had no uh, guidance, like I had no guidance on how to live a life, how to just be a responsible adult, let alone like a godly man or anything like that. Although I believed in God, like I knew that God existed. So like for my, I remember being six years old and praying every night to God. Like I know like that influence really is what brought me eventually to this place, right? But in the middle, all that mess in the middle, uh, uh, it, it, it was a journey. And so uh, pretty much, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in detail about all that, but I will say that, you know, 24 years in addiction to methamphetamine, uh, 12 years altogether that I spent in prison, uh, which, which has its own, like, set of, you know, effects on your mind, on your view of who you are, of your view of what the world is, and, like, dealing with all the violence of that and all the, just the chaos of all of that, you know, uh, over time, you know, basically brings you a place of hopelessness, right? Like, you, like all these things stack up against you, and, like, like, there they are, the huge mountains in your life that, like, you know, the faith of the, faith of the mustard seed first comes into mind, but they were there, and so, in hopelessness, you know, I just saw no no possibility of ever overcoming them. Um, so, like, uh, really, you know, after my second time in prison, I guess I'll share that. I wasn't going to, but so after my second time in prison, I got out. I went, like, six months. I'm, like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, you know, and, like, I guess I'll say before that, you know, every time I would go to jail, I would pour you know, pour my heart out to God. I'd cry out to God. I'd read the word. I'd try to like find some understanding and, you know, why is, why is my life going this way? Um, like I really was seeking help. Like I wanted a, a way out of this life. And so, um, it's kind of an important piece. Like all, all along, like those seeds, my grandma, my mom, my aunt planted, like still, like they still came into play, but what, what was I lacking? I didn't have discipleship in my life. I didn't have anybody to say, Hey, this is the way, like, you, you need to come this way, let's do, this, do it this way, um, and so really it took a lifetime of, of crashing, uh, doing things the wrong way, having the wrong view of what my life was, of who I was, and all those kind of things, and continually just, um, you know, in this cycle of, you know, like, I, I'd go to jail, I'd cry out to God, I'd feel like, stronger, I'd feel better, like I'd feel that like I had a handle on it, and then I'd go out and try to do it on my own power, and I didn't have any guidance, and like eventually would would succumb to the deception and fall back into, you know, over and over and over again, and so uh, as I was saying, after my second time getting out of prison, I made it like six months, um, uh, relapsed, and relapsed in a very bad way. This was the 4th of July, 2016. Um, so I overdosed on, on meth. Um, it was actually some, some bad meth that, that was going around out there. And I think it was, it was actually an attempt by someone to 
kind of robbed me, take my van and stuff like that. It was a whole whole mess of a deal, but basically I, I overdosed. Um, essentially, it was, they called it a heat stroke, okay? What actually happened, I was out there running around in the heat of the day and basically had a heat stroke. And so, because my body temperature had reached 112 degrees and basically was just staying there, and the doctor's like, he's, he's done. They put me in a medically induced coma. Um, so I was in the coma for three weeks. Um, my mom, you know, she shows up to the hospital and basically the doctor's like, your, your son is gone. Like, like there, there's, just, there's just no way he will, if he wakes up, he's going to have no brain function. Like, he, he's going to be brain dead. Your son will be gone. And so uh, thank God for my mom and her faith. She, she literally told the doctor exactly where he can go with all that, which was out, out of the room, right? And she, she's like, I, I will not accept this. This is not true. And she started praying over me. She prayed uh, that Jesus would heal me, like he would, I would wake up, that I would be healed. And um, I mean, praise God, like I did wake up. Um, uh, you know, mostly like coherent, like I could pass the, the, brain function test they gave me, and so basically they're like, okay, well, like, you know, he, he can, he's recognizing, like, these shapes and names and all that stuff. I had to kind of relearn to walk again and go through some therapy and stuff like that, but basically, like, I was alive, and it was good. Uh, unfortunately, like, my brain, I kind of let on that I was much better than I was because I saw the pain in my mom's eyes, and I wanted her to, like, not be in pain, so I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything is fine. And really, it wasn't really like my, like the only word I could really think of is like a psychosis. Like uh, looking back on it, really, it's like a movie, like I'm watching somebody else's story. And really, that's kind of true of me now in Christ. Like the old man is gone. But like in that, in that frame of time, um, just trying to make sense of it all, like really, it was it was chaos, like there was no, like I, while I was in that, I didn't really, it didn't seem real, like life wasn't real, like everything was like a movie or a cartoon or a game or something like that, you know, and um, so, so of course, unfortunately, like I fell back into the addiction after this, like, and like this is the hardest part to even talk about because of all that my family went through and like this amazing gift that, you know, Jesus had had healed me and like I woke up and like it's an incredible blessing. But then like I still fall back in this addiction. How could this even happen? You know, um, but God is God is so so good. Like His plan, His purpose for our lives, even in the midst of all that chaos and all that all that darkness. Uh, like, he had a plan, and he knew, like, I was going to kill myself or I was going to go back to jail. And, like, so the greatest blessing I ever can remember in all that is that I was arrested on October 6, 2017. And so I went to jail. It's also my sobriety day. Five years, whoa. And uh, so, yeah. Just incredibly, in that moment, I get to jail, and, like, I'm starting to get some kind of clarity, at least I'm off the drugs, and so, like, I'm, I'm sober, it's not in my system now, but I, ha I still, like, there's just this fog, and, uh, you know, the only thing I could do, which is pretty incredible to think about, is read scripture, like, maybe out of some, like, 
you know, the, like the past experience, I go to jail and I'd be in scripture, maybe like that kind of influenced like what I was doing, but I couldn't read other books. I couldn't, I hardly ate. I hardly got out of bed. Like literally I read through the entire Bible in, you know, like three months, like just reading constantly, just reading, reading, reading. I don't know how much I'm retaining of this, but like, that's all I could do with my time is just read scripture. And, uh, after like five months, my brain started really clearing up. I finally was able to write a letter home to my mom, and I explained everything that happened in brutal honesty, like what I did and how I fell again and all these things that happened. And um, uh, praise God, uh, a guy who is from Springfield here, um, who's lived here all his life that I actually knew from my childhood, Gary Larimore. I mean, you might know him, might not. Um, so he starts writing me letters. He knows people at Victory Mission. He's a friends with Jason Henson, the executive director. He's friends with Mark, the director of restoration. And so um, he just starts ministering, ministering to me, really, and, uh, you know, telling me about this program, telling me about the restoration program. And um, it's pretty incredible. So the prison I was in last um, in Kansas, it, it had an amazing chapel, amazing, like, ministry team. Um, I was able to go to services like two or three times every day and like so I just dug into it I just just started going to different services all you know um, um, then in November of 2019 I got baptized while I was in prison um, it's kind of a like a personal moment like when I when I came out of the water I knew that God like he he was he was directing my path like he brought Gary into my life again to to bring me here, really, to bring me to the restoration program. And so um, I'm not going to really talk a lot about the restoration program, but, I mean, I work there now. I'm a chaplain in, in uh, Victory Ministry. And so, I mean, it's just an incredible story of how God can literally use people to transform our lives, to, uh, to like, bring us out of the darkness into... I mean, I, I would have never imagined this for myself. Like, there's so many things I could talk about that God has restored in my life, like family, financially, being able to do different things, uh, pay off old debts, pay off stuff. But it's, it's really not about that. It's about, like, the fullness that I walk in in Christ, that I, that I am redeemed and healed. Uh, and really, the thing I wanted to share more than anything is my hope that this would encourage you that like the neighborhood that we outreach to Tom Watkins neighborhood is full of people who have done, uh, you know, the same, the same things I've done in my life. You know, they've gone to jail. They've done, been addicted to meth. Meth, meth is, I mean, it's a huge problem, right? It, it is, it's disturbing. It's evil. It's, it's, it's bad, but, it, but it's possible to come out of that. And so like, you never know, like, who you might reach. You never know how someone will be affected by you just taking the time to say, hey, uh, there's a better way, or, like, guiding them in some way or telling them some truth about Scripture or whatever it might be. Like, like there is hope. If I, if I could be here today and standing in front of this church body and giving a testimony about the power of God to transform a life, then, then it's true for everybody out there. And so... I just, I hope it encourages you to that. And, uh, you know, God didn't use addicts to change my life. He used people that really have been in church forever. Mark McNally, you know, and so, like, you don't, you don't have to have had these experiences. In fact, I chose this church because, like, I could see, 
I could see like a different class of people. I hate to say that, but like a different group of people. And like I saw the people that I wanted to aspire to become. And so that's like, that's why I felt uh, drawn to this church. And I also, of course, because it's like of your love and you're accepting and you're like welcoming. And that was great. But like, like to truly come out of darkness, like we need someone who is in the light. And so, yeah, I guess that's, that's probably it, huh? <laughs> All right. You want me to pray for it? You want me to pray? Okay. <sighs> I asked him to pray over us, to pray for us, so I'll show it. All right. Cool. If you would, bow your heads with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are just so, so blessed today. So blessed for the love and the grace that you uh, that you pour out on us, Father. I just pray today uh, that this family, this body, this Freshwater Church, Lord, that we would just be encouraged to know, uh, first to know our identities in you, to know truly who we are and the power that comes with that, Lord, and the power uh, that we have to change the community around us, to bring hope to people that are hopeless, Lord. And so... Uh, we just thank you today, Father. We thank you for all that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. We, we really appreciate you. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah, so for as the, the last week of our series coming into this, I just thought, man, what better way to, sh to start this off than with Robert sharing his testimony. It's something that we haven't done a lot at Freshwater, and I don't even know why. Um, and so it's something I want to do a lot more is just share what God has done, what God continues to do in lives all around us. Because, you know, church, it's really easy to get hung up in just our own, our own thing, what's going on in our own lives, and forget that God is moving in just incredibly amazing ways all around us. Um, and if we don't get that reminder once in a while, we'll just forget. We'll just forget. And so thank you so much for sharing that. If I can figure this thing out, man. There's like, there's like 14 knobs on here. What's the deal? All right, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We're not going to get there right, right this second, but that's where we're going to start today. And so I, I kind of re referred to it a few times, but if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series um, called Disciple. Um, Disciple. And, and you've heard me say this two or three times if you've been here every week, and, and good for you, you're sick of this. But if you haven't been here every week, um, what, what I've come back to again and again is we, we started out this series calling it Discipleship. And I actually saw Kayla's laptop back there, and the, her, one of the things she has on the top of her laptop is discipleship, because the first, even like the first graphic we made before we changed it said discipleship. But then, then we realized that that wasn't the right title of this sermon series, because the series is not really about discipleship. What the series is really about is what it means to be a disciple. And so the, the reason I say that is because so often, I, I, again, I've said this before, I'm going to say this a lot lately, so often when we think of what it is to be a disciple, which really just means to be a Christian, we think about the things that we're supposed to do. And there, and there are things we're supposed to do, and it's important to, to be obedient and self-controlled and disciplined and all those things, but Scripture is screaming out at us all the time, this is who you are. Right? As a disciple of Christ, it's about who you are, not what you're supposed to do. We'll get to the things you're supposed to do, but when we start there, we never really experience the joy that we should experience in the Lord because we're supposed to start with who God is, what he's done, and because of those things, who we are in him. That's what it really means to be a disciple. Over and over in scripture, when it's talking about a disciple, that's what it's talking about. And so the definition the first week we gave of being a disciple is this. We don't have it on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. A disciple is a follower of Christ 
When we say a believer, right, someone who follows Christ with their life, who has made him the Lord of their life, is a follower of Christ, who has been united to Christ, right, which is one of the greatest truths in Scripture. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today because we did the first week, but that you've been united with him in his death so that the old you could literally die with him. That what Robert was talking about. That old person dies with Christ. It's all washed away. And then we're unified with him in a resurrection like his. As he was raised in glory, we can be raised to new life in this life as a new creation, as a child of God, and will be raised in glory with him someday. And we've been unified with him in that, one of the greatest truths of what Christ has done for us. So we have a follower of Christ who has been united to Christ and then through an ever-deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. Christ is the one who restores us back to the image of God that we were created in before the fall because he is the perfect image of God. That's why we strive to be more like Christ, not only because of what he done, he's done and, and that he is God and of who, the son of God and who he is, but he is that perfect reflection of God's glory, of God's image that we strive to. And so as we grow closer to God, as, we, as John 15 says, as we abide in God, we live our lives in him and through him, we'll be conformed to be more like him. And if we're conformed to be more like him, we'll more further understand who we are in him and we'll start to live a life like he lived, which is then where it comes in what we're supposed to do. So that's really the foundation we built in week one, your identity in Christ, your identity in Christ. Just yesterday, I was talking to to one of my friends and um, maybe you can relate to this. I'm totally going off script, right? Okay, so... (laughs) But I think this is important. Right now, I feel like I'm supposed to share this. Like, I was talking to him, and he's one of my friends, and he has this, man, just this mind that constantly condemns him. Do any of you have a mind like that? Like, it's just constantly, your mind is constantly telling you you're not good enough. It's constantly trying to, to say that you should be more. And so there's, there's, there's always a little bit of shame and guilt hanging around inside of him. And, and I've never done this to him in 10 years because he doesn't go to this church, right? He's a believer. But I told him, man, I, I think you need to listen to the sermon about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Will you just listen to that? Like, I felt like, I, like again, didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I was like, I, I, I just need to tell him to share it. First time in 10 years of preaching, I've said, can you, can you listen to this? And he listened to it, and yesterday he told me that um, it felt like the sermon was exactly for him, and that he had an experience with God that he's probably only had three or four times in his life. Now, church, do you think I'm saying that because I think I'm a great preacher and I preached an awesome sermon? No, like I've, I say all the time, in three weeks from now, you're not going to remember. You're not going to remember probably hardly any of this sermon, right? The only thing that's going to stand is the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But like, like the reason I say that is because even though you think we think we've got this figured out, so often we put our identity in other things, and those things are going to let us down. They're going to be taken away from us. They're not going to live up to it. And if you put your identity in something else, eventually you're going to feel condemnation. Eventually you're going to feel guilt. Eventually you're going to feel shame. Eventually you're going to feel like you're not good enough because you're not living up to some standard that was never supposed to fulfill you or define you in any way. Jesus says, be defined by me because he loves you, because he knows in him is hope and joy and peace and love and fulfillment and whole, wholeness, shalom in him. And you're not going to find it anywhere else. So if you don't remember anything else in this, this sermon series, go back to week one that your identity is found in Christ. And if you can get that right, the other things are going to work themselves out. The other things will work themselves out. So then that was week one. The last three weeks, we've really been talking about how community um, helps us in, in that process of knowing who we are in Christ and becoming more like Christ. So week two was really about how this, the gathering, right? This is discipleship. 
God's given me the responsibility to stand up here and proclaim the truth to disciple us as a body. As I prepare sermons, man, I'm being discipled by Jesus and by other, by other people who've written things on this. And then I proclaim to you and we're all discipled. We're unified, one heart, one mind, moving forward in the, in, in the same direction. And the main thing we focus on in this church is not what you're supposed to do. Which th- we will talk about those things. Yes, of course we will. But who you are and who, mainly who Jesus is and because of who he is, who you are. And so we talked about the gathering. Week two was about life groups, how we have to engage in a smaller way because God describes us as a family. And we can't really do family things on, on Sunday morning, not in the way that scripture describes, where we weep together and we rejoice together and we suffer together and we bear burdens together and we forgive each other. That's really hard to do on Sunday morning. So week three was really about the, the smaller gathering where we actually engage in each other's lives and do the things, the one another's that scripture is constantly talking about so that we might understand our identity in Christ and then live a life like Christ. And then last week was really about, Tony did a great job of talking about one-on-one to one-on-three discipleship, really like, re, like ironing, sharpening iron, engaging in a really deep, meaningful way with each other so that we might grow, so that we might understand our identity so that we might bear through this life together, which is what scripture is teaching us. And so in the end, we've, I think we've put, we put it up there every week, but I had you turn there today. Really, the, the, the foundation of this series has really kind of been found in Matthew 28. So if you haven't turned to Matthew 28, go ahead and, and turn there. If you haven't highlighted this passage, maybe you should go ahead and do it. We're going to start in verse 18, because we probably read this I don't know, 50 times in freshwater over the last 10 years. Uh, nine years, technically, but through the core team, 10 years. Um, Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So really what we've been focused on the last three weeks is teaching people to obey, right? What it looks like through discipleship, what it looks like to obey Christ and to understand that Christ is always with you, that he's always with you, guiding you, giving you strength, giving you peace, giving you hope, and how we are to do that together. That's really where we've been focused. But this week, what we're really gonna do is we're gonna kind of go back to the beginning of that great commission because we've been kind of talking about the second part teaching them to obey and understand that Christ was always with them. But what's, what's the first part of this command? Like not a recommendation, right? This first part of this command, it's go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Remember, this is one of the last things that Jesus ever said to his disciples. The last thing he kind of commanded us to do, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you know what one of the first things that Jesus ever said to his disciples you don't have to turn there, but it's in Matthew 4. Matthew, Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, he, he, he calls his disciples, and then he says to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This is one of the first things he ever said to them. Do you, do you think maybe we ought to pay attention to it? Maybe we ought to take this really seriously. Maybe the call of our life is, is not to have a good American Christianity life where we feel comfortable and everything is kind of working out for us just the way we wanted. And praise God if you're comfortable. Praise God if you don't have a lot of fears and worries and suffering in your life. Praise God for that. I'm not knocking that. But, but maybe if Jesus started his ministry with this statement to his disciples and one of the last things he ever said to his disciples was, was go and make disciples. I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Literally saying, I'm gonna make you disciples that make disciples. Maybe we should play really, really close attention to this. Maybe we should find a way to make this one of the 
most important things in our lives. Because the last four weeks, what we've really been, really been doing is we've been kind of focusing on our vertical relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever heard it explained this way, but we have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship. So the last four weeks, what we've been talking about is our, our vertical relationship with God, our relationship between us and him, finding our identity in him, how community helps us to find our identity in him, all so that we might be built up together into spiritual maturity and to love. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. That's what our foundation must be. And without, without that and without a community around us to, to, to focus on that, to, to focus on that vertical relationship so that we might grow, man, we're just going to get it wrong. That's what we've been talking about so far. But if, if we are truly giving our lives to reflect Christ, if we're truly giving our lives to give glory to Christ, if we're going to radiate his glory um, in any way, it can't stop with the vertical it has to move to the horizontal. And what I mean by that is because of our vertical relationship with Jesus, we go out and we do the things that Jesus did. We go. The way that we describe that at Freshwater Church is we advance the gospel. That this church exists to, first and foremost, glorify God, to live for him and his glory. But also because of commands like this, as we live for his glory, we must we must advance the gospel. So this is really what this series is going or this sermon as we close out this series this week. That's what this ser- this sermon is about. Now, now before we really jump into what that looks like for our church, I just I, I just wanted to say this um, before we talk about what it means to go and advance the gospel. I just want to acknowledge something first. And I don't know if you felt this, but in a lot of ways, we're kind of relaunching our church, aren't we? Have you felt that? We're kind of, it's, it's kind of like we're not starting over, but we're kind of relaunching because we're, we're just not, the, the world is not, but our church in particular, we're just not the same church that we were two years, two and a half, three years ago, are we? If you've been around that long, you know that like, it's just not the same as it used to be. Things are just different. And it, I don't mean just in our church, I mean just in the world we live in, the community we live in. Like our mission to Tom Watkins' neighborhood that, that Robert was talking about, that I'll talk about today, is just not the same. Just think about it, just in the neighborhood, there is no Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association anymore. And for those of you who've been around for a long time, you know how unbelievably important that was for when we first started, because how we really engaged in the neighborhood was through the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association. We built a really close relationship with the president, and she really, we showed love to her, and honestly, she was a Wiccan who was kind of sort of a Christian too, who shared love back to us. She was like, we, we liked Marty, even though she was a pill, and she was a handful, and we loved her, right? But she basically came in and said, oh, you want to support us? Yeah, you can say and do whatever you want. Let's just do this thing together. And so we were, we were able to do this non-threatening thing where we could be a part of the association and yet share Jesus freely and willingly where people would come to association things where they might not come to a church thing. And what a beautiful avenue we had to share the gospel with people and build community. We don't have that anymore. Tom Hawkins Neighborhood Association doesn't exist. Do you know, like, we had like six or seven community partners other than Williams that we, we worked with consistently in the community. They're all gone now. They've moved on. They're somewhere else. Like community partnership of the Ozarks. Do you guys remember them? Jessica was our connection there for a long time. She not only was awesome, but she was a Christian, which made it really convenient. But CPO, the community partnership of the Ozarks, they worked in Williams Elementary with the teachers here. They worked with Northside Schools. And then they, they were actually the ones that helped um, guide the neighborhood associations and were constantly, Jessica was always at all of our stuff. She was always at Williams. They don't do that, any of those things anymore. During COVID, Community Partnership, the Ozarks, pulled out of all of their local stuff. 
a lot of other ministries did the same things. A lot of people that partnered in communities, because CPO was not a ministry, but a lot of other ministries, they just don't do the same things that they used to do. It's crazy. Like basically all the partners that we used to have are gone. Do you remember when I said maybe two months ago that there's only five returning teachers from last year? We had built relationships with teachers over the last nine years. Some of them had been there 15, 20 years. A lot of them had. All the fi- almost all, not all, but obviously almost all of the 15, 20 year people, they're all gone, except for just a few. And so we're re- rebuilding all of those relationships. And, and then you just add on top of that, Williams was on the other side of town for a year, and we couldn't get in the building, even when it was here, we couldn't get in the building for two years because of COVID. Things are a lot different, aren't they? This is why I say we're relaunching. And then you add on top of that, you guys, for those of you that live on the north side, you know how transient the north side is. And when I say that, it's a come and go kind of community. There are lifers in Tom Watkins' neighborhood. There's people that have lived there a really long time. But there's a lot more people that kind of come and go. And so even the relationships we built in the neighborhood, a lot of them, a lot of the connections are gone. Not all of them. Like we still got really cool connections in, in John B. Hughes. We got some, still got some good connections in Tom Watkins' neighborhoods. But most of them are not there any longer. See what I'm saying? We're kind of relaunching. Now, here's the thing. That could be really discouraging. But I'm not discouraged at all. And, and I promise, Ethan, this is not me putting like my positive spin on everything, right? That's who I am. That's just who I naturally am. I want to like get everybody fired up, right? I look at the upside, almost to a fault sometimes. But I don't think that's what I'm doing. Because here, here, here's, here's why I don't feel this way. Um, I don't... Call me out. If I get to 1120, somebody shout stop, right? I don't, I, I'm, I'm preaching off of, of an outline now I, that I hand wrote. This is not a good thing for you, church, I promise you. But um, I've been praying a lot for the neighborhood and what we're supposed to do. And one of the things I was praying about just a couple weeks ago was, God, I, I feel like we're supposed to help rebuild the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association. Because what an avenue that is, right? For a non-threatening way for people to engage in neighborhood things where we're a part of the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association and where we can still share and get and show the love of Jesus Christ, but we're not putting on some big church event that some people that, that don't like church will come to. Just like when we did our last thing at Williams and we did the after-school party, I heard someone say, yeah, we could go to that party, but they're going to try to convert us. Like, I heard someone say that. Did you? I said that to the church. Like, someone literally said that. They didn't want to go to the after-school party because they knew a church was putting it on and they're going to try to convert us. So the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association is a good avenue to bring in non-church people and, and to a community event that we get to be a part of. So, but, but honestly, I was like, God, I don't know how to do that because we have people that live in the neighborhood, but most of them have really busy, full lives and would love to help restart that thing. But like Denver and Maria, but they don't really have the margin. Like Denver's involved in like 19 things at Freshwater. How's he going to help rebuild the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association? So I just, I cried out to God, God, help. Two days later, this has happened to me like six times in the last two weeks where I prayed and like literally days later, God just answered like, like directly. I'm, a guy like reaches out to me and says, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. I live in Tom Watkins. I've heard of some of the stuff that you do. Could you meet? Didn't know who he was. Didn't, didn't know anything. I sit down with him. This is a really good conversation. But by, by the end, I won't share it all today, but by the end, um, he said, well, I just really want to be a part of the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association, but there isn't one. Could, could maybe I help rebuild it? And this dude loves Jesus, by the way. Um, He moved into the neighborhood with the same heart we do. He's like, him and his wife, they're younger. They moved into the neighborhood because they thought, yeah, like God commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And and what neighborhood needs it more than a neighborhood like Tom Watkins? So they moved in on purpose. That don't go to our church. I don't think they're going to come to our church. That wasn't his point. He just wants to help rebuild the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association. I'm like, what? 
Did, what? Do you know I prayed for you? I prayed for this? But anyway, he said the same thing. I, I shared some stuff about what we've done and where we are. And he said, isn't that kind of discouraging? And I said to him, no. And here's why, because the whole world is kind of recovering from the COVID world, right? The whole world is doing this. I've accepted it. Have you? Like the world just changed and we got to move on. And so I kind of look at it like, hey, that's just where we are. That's what it is. Let's, let's move forward. But the reason I'm not, I'm really not discouraged is, man, listen, we are so much wiser than the first time. As a church, honestly, I don't know if you know this, but we're so much more spiritually mature than we were for the first time. We have so much more experience than we did the first time. Man, everybody kind of romanticizes the first three years and four years of a church plant, and I get it because it was fun and it was great. But man, we were all wore out all the time. We were always on missions and we were all at everything. And listen, man, we failed at some stuff. We just tried some stuff because we didn't know what we were doing. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. But listen, don't ever be afraid of failure as a church or as a person because if you fail and then you learn and then you move forward, you've now gained wisdom and you can do it better the next time. And so what I said from the beginning is like, church, let's just fail forward. We're going to fail. Some things are going to work, but let's learn and then just keep going. And that's what I feel about this. I don't feel like this was a failure. This is what happened in the world and everything changed. But now we have wisdom. So what an opportunity we have this time instead of starting at a crawl to start at a run. Like this time we can actually start at a run. Man, the things like we were doing, like even starting off doing in Tom Hawkins' neighborhood, but in particular John B. Hughes, we're just doing it so much more wisely this time. And the people that are leading it just so much more wisely. So no, I'm not really discouraged. I, I, I guess I wish we weren't in this spot. I wish, I don't know if, if you guys remember that those of you who are here, like it's hard for us to remember, but right before the whole COVID thing and everything happened, three or 400 people at least were coming to our block parties. But that's not the most important thing. It took us forever as a church to not just put on events, but actually engage with people that we don't know. Because that's, that's hard for a lot of people. But I remember that last block party we had, I looked around and we had like 80 or 90 freshwater people there and almost all of them were engaged with the neighborhood, building relationships. And, and we were getting more and more people from the neighborhood starting to come, way more than we had the, the previous, previous five or six years. And that's when COVID hit. I, I know we can do it. We're kind of relaunching in a lot of ways, but we, we, we know some of the things that work. We know that some things that, we, that don't, we're going to have to rebuild a lot of things. But listen, we know what we're doing this time, and I'm excited. And here's the thing. If you were here those first few years, you know that I said, because of all, I, I talked to a lot of people that did kind of um, inner city, poor poor-ish types of neighborhoods type of ministry. I talked to a lot of people that d- had done that in other cities and other places. And they all said, you don't, if you're in any hurry to see the world change, then you're, doing the, you're in the wrong spot. And so what I said from the beginning is, if we're actually going to see any movement, any change in the generational poverty, in the darkness, listen, in the things that Robert was talking about today, right? If we're going to see any change in those things, those things have come from generational sin, generational darkness. And if we're going to see them change, we have to be committed generationally. Church, this is a generational commitment. So the last two years or so at our church has been kind of a blip along the way. But listen, that's what this is going to be. If we're going to really be committed to this, we're going to have some really great highs and some lows. And we're going to have to just ride the wave through the peaks and valleys and just follow God faithfully. Follow God as he's commanding us, listen, advance my gospel. So that's where we find ourselves. And, and, I, and I'm good with it. And so today, really, I want to talk about how we're going to be moving forward and really what the mission of God is at, at Freshwater Church in particular. But before I do, I want to make sure we're all, we're all on board with what Scripture says. Because before I try to cast vision where we are going as a church, I want to make sure that we're all aligned on what Scripture says. Now, we've, we've already talked about the Great Commission. 
The Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. And we've done some of that, with, like the all nations part. We've been to Mexico. We've been to Haiti. Ethan and Julie just got back from Africa. They're going back. I think other people are going to go back to Africa with them, right? So we, we've done those things. But is that what g- making disciples and going means, that we need to go to other countries, that we need to go overseas? Is that what Jesus is, is teaching us, is that's what missions is, going overseas or to another country? It's obviously a piece of it, right? But here, turn to Luke 24. Let's read this today. If you're in Matthew, just turn right in your Bible a little ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 24. And Jesus actually says another thing very similar to the Great Commission here. But you never hear about it. I don't really know why because it's really good. But we're going to be in Luke 24, verses uh, 44 through 48. And this is, again, right at the end of Jesus' life. So Luke 24. Verse 44. You there, Tracy? I'm not going on without you. Hey, I'm not going on without you. All right, Luke 24, verse 44 says this. Then he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's Jesus pointing to the Old Testament saying it was all about me. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand scriptures. Quick pause. Remember in John, when Jesus said, Jesus said in John to the disciples, after all this happens, you'll understand and I'll open up your minds to understand everything, everything. Right here, he just said that. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that, that Christ, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses of these things. Doesn't that sound familiar to the the Great Commission? It tells them very specifically what to do. He's telling them, go make disciples, but he's telling them how to make disciples, isn't he? Go proclaim this. Go proclaim my life and my death and my resurrection. Go proclaim to them that through repentance of their sins, they can be saved, they can be forgiven, they can move forward. This is the foundation of everything we do. This has to come first. It's not, I need to go do this thing or I need to go overseas. What we are called to do is share the gospel. That's the foundation, and I know it's hard for us. Like, so many of us feel unequipped to share the gospel, which, by the way, we might get there today. That's not true. We're so fat with biblical knowledges at churches like this because we preach the Bible every single week. You actually know what to say. You actually know what to do. You just need the practice of doing it. You don't need more information because if you, if you don't know the answer, you know what you say. I say this all the time. Just say, you know, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'll find out for you. And then you go find out and they'll appreciate you even more because you invested in them enough to go back and find out an answer for them and come back. This is the thing that we do. We share the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? He just told us. I lived, I died, I resurrected, I went to heaven. And now that people can have forgiveness of their sins through repentance and believing in me because I already paid for it. Done. With a real simple version of the gospel, that's it. That's the good news. That's what we do. That's where it starts. We teach people to obey after this happens. This teaching to obey, all the things we've talked about so far, can't happen until this happens. Now, he's telling his disciples to go to all nations. But where does he tell them to start? In Jerusalem. I think this is where churches can really miss it. We could miss it. Other churches can miss it. They put, they put too much focus on overseas or too much focus, well, honestly, on themselves just inside the church building or even their own places. Like I've heard people say, like, why do we got to go over there when there's so much work to do here? 
when if I'm having a good day, we sit there and talk about it. If I'm having a bad day and I'm feeling sarcastic, I say, well, the Bible, the Bible's the problem with that. But the Bible says both things. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Just another version of this, this same comment. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is, again, right at the end of Jesus' life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, their city, and all of Judea, their area, and Samaria, an area close to them with a bunch of people they hate, and to the end of the earth. Here, there, and way, way over there. And this is how it all started. Now, I just want to say something really quickly. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. So passages like... Um, in Luke, where we're reading about they start in Jerusalem, he was talking to his disciples literally what they needed to do next. And in Acts, he's talking to his disciples, like we're all his disciples, right? But the, the, the 12, he's saying, this is where you start. This is how this is going to play out. So you've heard me use this phrase before. This is not prescriptive, meaning the Bible here is not prescribing. This is exactly how you need to do this. But it is giving us an, a very amazing example of what it looks like to do missions, a pattern for us to follow. This is descriptive, right? Not prescriptive, but descriptive. But this is, this is a pattern that we need to follow because this is what we see with the disciples. They started in their own city. Peter and James seemed to stay in their own city. Peter arguably went on to Rome, but then Paul went everywhere, and a lot of the other disciples, then they scattered, but they started at home, and some stayed at home, and they focused on spreading the gospel where they live, and then some went. But that, this is how the gospel spreads. And so this is what we want to do at Freshwater Church. This, this exactly. Because honestly, is. We, we make this really complicated, and I realize sharing the gospel sometimes is complicated, and we don't know what to say or what to do. I get the fear. I, I, of course, I get all of that. So that part is complicated, but hear me, church, is, is the command complicated? Do we have to really dive way deeper into Scripture to understand what God's will is for our lives and what he's called us to do? It's one of the clearest commands that we get. Go. Go. So we We go. So this is what we're really looking at at Freshwater kind of moving forward. And what we're trying to do is, is one, the mission has to start at home. It has to start not only at home, but it has to start in your circles. You are to advance the gospel, not, not Freshwater. Freshwater is made up of a bunch of people who are supposed to advance the gospel. It's not my responsibility or the leaders, it, it's yours. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. Praise God, it makes it easier, right? And they're, they're to be our leaders. People like Corey are to be our leaders in what evangelism looks like, but we're all to go. And it starts in your circles. You know, I, as a pastor, it's kind of funny. It's sometimes, it's, it's harder now for me to share the gospel with unbelievers than it was when I was a sales guy. Because again, if you're newer, I was a sales guy for 15 years and I've been a pastor for, full-time pastor for six, but um, I was around non-believers all the time. And I'm just not that much anymore. And so as I was preparing this sermon, as one of the questions that we have in our discipleship question thing is, have you got to share your faith with an unbeliever this week? Because I felt like that needed to be there because it's one of the greatest commands that we have, but we, we almost never talk about it because it's kind of an uneasy conversation for most of us, isn't it? Let's just be honest. It is, and it convicted me. Like, I'm writing this. I share the gospel every week to 99% church people. Praise God. That's a good thing. And so I was praying, God, 
where have I been selfish? Where do I need to share the gospel? And whether it was from God or it was from my own heart, like I realized that I go to my daughter's ball games all the time. And I'm just gonna be really real. <laughs> I don't wanna share the gospel at her ball games. I'm pastor all the time. Can I just go sit and watch my daughter's games? Right? But I got really convicted because that's the wrong way of looking at it. Like the, one of the main purposes of my life is to tell people about Jesus and when I do tell people about Jesus and we get in one of those conversations, sometimes it's hostile. I almost never have a hostile conversation. I have people who aren't very engaged in the conversation and you don't force it down their throat if that's true. But I've had people willing to talk with me and wanting to talk about spiritual things way more than, than a lot of you would think, right? And you know what, how I leave everyone, every time I have one of those conversations, whether they, they, I, they believe that I lead them to Jesus that day or not, when I plant those spiritual seeds, when we talk about Jesus, especially with someone who doesn't believe, I always feel awesome after leaving those conversations. Well, most of the time, there's a couple times I blew it, right, terrible. I was like, that was, that was terrible, right? But most of the time, I just feel good. It was the purpose, that, um, the thing that I meant to do, but yet I want to avoid it. Isn't, isn't the flesh weird? Isn't our, uh, our enemy, Satan, isn't he insidious in how he like turns us away from our, our actual purpose to want other things when that's the thing that will actually give us fulfillment and joy and peace and hope? And so here's another time that God just absolutely answered prayer miraculously. I was praying like two or three days before one of Keaton's games, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't know, that week, that Saturday, she had an all-day tournament. And um, we were doing like a tailgating thing at noon, like I smoked some pork, and we were all hanging out, talking and eating, and a dad walked up to watch his daughter's game. I don't know that he'd ever been to one of her games. Maybe he had, but I'd never seen him before. And he was kind of standing off there by himself. And I actually had the thought, oh God, here we go. <laughs> and I walked up, and I talked with him, and he was a super nice guy, and we engaged in a conversation. And I'm telling you, not every person, but most people, if you just start asking about their lives, they will tell you about their lives. As I said to, to our men this weekend, if you don't go into a conversation just waiting for your turn to talk, but actually ask them about themselves and ask them about their lives and have follow-up questions and just try to find out who they are, they, they'll, they'll tell you about who they are. And like, it was this simple. I knew that I prayed to God. I prayed before I didn't say this part yet. I prayed before this happened, God, if there is an opportunity for me to share the gospel with it, help me to see it and help me to give someone with an open heart to hear it. And here's how easy this can be, church. All he said while I was listening to his story, at one point he said, well, I grew up Catholic and my wife grew up Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist. Like, okay. And we just kept talking. And then when he was kind of done talking for a long time, by the way, if you keep asking questions, people talk about themselves. I said, you know, at the beginning, you mentioned that you and your wife used to kind of go to church. You used to be Catholic. She used to do this. Like, is that something you guys still do? Are you guys still engage in a church? Done. Right? That's all it took. And then we started talking about church and what the church should be. But who, and then I got to say, well, this is who Jesus really is. And the scripture is saying, like, this is, what, this is what Jesus wants for his church. And we're supposed to love people and, and do this and do these things. And listen, I was not giving a gospel presentation. And I didn't lay out the gospel in full. And I didn't lead him to Jesus that day because he said he's a believer, even though he hasn't been in church in a really, 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 really long time, at least not consistently, right? But through that, I got to share about my love of Jesus because it's just a part of who I am. And listen, it's a part of who you are too. And so again, I'm, this is not pressure to absolutely just lay out some perfect gospel presentation. I got to talk about the love of Jesus and his church and my love of Jesus and my love of the church because he just said the word church. Boom, it's over, I got you. And I, I'm just joking, I don't, we don't get people, right? We don't get people with the gospel. But right then, I, I felt like a, a, just a conviction from the Lord. This is your shot, are you gonna take it? This is your shot, are you gonna take it? 
And so we talked about it. And by the way, he said, when does your church meet? I would love to come. Now, that people say that to me often, and sometimes you know they're being nice, and sometimes you know they mean, they mean it when they say it, but they're not ready yet. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I'm going to see that person in a few weeks. He was one of those middle guys. I was like, he absolutely means this. He wants his family in church. I can see it in his life, but he, he's not ready yet. So maybe I'll get a chance to follow up with him, right, and continue that conversation. Maybe I'm not the guy that's going to get him we are not the church that's going to get him back in church and his family engaged and all that stuff. But as Robert said, there was people like his grandma that planted seeds along the way. When the time came, when the time comes, it'll come. That was way, way too much on that story. But listen, um, what is it for you? Where can you pray? Where can you seek? Who in your life? This is one of the things we're talking about men and women's discipleship. Who are the people you can pray for? Who, where, where are the opportunities? Like, God, use me this week. God, if there's a, use me. Help me to see it. Help me to go. Help me to be willing to go. And will you go? Same thing with your neighbors. Starts in your circles, whatever that is, and then with your neighbors. I have a whole nother story about my neighbors, but here's the, long, the short version. We've talked about Jesus before, but I realized the other day I've never invited them to church. The pastor. By the way, your pastor, failure, right? You might fail too. I didn't, I've never invited them to church, even though we've talked about Jesus. Like, now, is inviting people to church the answer? No, you need to talk about Jesus and who we are and the hope, but, but it can be a step along the process because, listen, this is the family of God. They need to be invited in the family of God. What we've been talking about the last three weeks is we can't do this alone. They're doing it alone. Why haven't I invited them into the place where they can actually grow and experience what God meant for us together? I don't want you to invite people to church to share the, hear the gospel. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to invite them to church so they can be a part of the family and, yes, hear the gospel. All right, there was way more there, but we, we got to go. So our, our mission field starts... The mission God gave us start in your own lives. But hear me, church. Like, again, I could go on and on about this, but I think we've talked about it, and Robert did a good job for us. Um, we don't have to go to Africa to find a mission field. It's right across the street. It's right across the street. Tom Watkins' neighborhood. There's so many good things about Tom Watkins' neighborhood. But again, this is, this is just, just a statistical data. If you look at teen pregnancy, if you look at abuse, if you look at jail time, if you look at drug abuse, if you look at all of the poverty, if you look at uh, all of these things, Tom Walker's neighborhood is one of one, two, or three on the top of all of those lists in our city every time. The mission, that, the mission field that God gave us of people lost in darkness, lost in abuse, fatherless, orphans, widows, we could go on and on and on are right here. That's why we're here. And so some of you feel like, man, I just don't feel connected to that. Listen, I understand that. Like, I'm not giving you a hard time about that. We've been distanced from it for two years, right? But like, Troke, Ethan, how connected did you feel to Mexico before you actually went to Mexico? How, how connected did you feel to Africa? Even though you wanted to go, how actually connected did you feel to the African people before you went there? None. And so this is what I'm saying. Of course, we don't feel really connected to the mission field that God gave us because we're not engaged in it right now. But once we engage, if you really engage in a mission field that God has given us in this city, where as far as I can tell, still no other church is actively engaging into, no hope of the gospel is actually going into, then if you actually give your life to the mission that God has given us, and there's a mission field right here, God will change that. God will change your heart. Listen, you go to, if you would have went to Mexico with us, you'd know what we are talking about. Javi changed after we got back from Mexico. He was a different person when he got back. His heart, even though Javi comes from a Mexican family, his heart for the place where we went in Mexico up in the mountains changed by the time he got back. It's going to be the same thing right here. 
There is so much darkness, the lost, the poor, the broken, the abused, the single mom, the widow, the addicted, the paroled, the fatherless, the hopeless. 21 steps from here. 2,200 homes. And it's not just that we need to share the gospel. We do. That's first and foremost. We need to talk about Jesus. Right? But there are over 2,000 verses about people like this. The poor, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan. 2,000. God loves the poor. God loves the hurting. God loves the broken. And if we never, if we go serve that community and we never get to Jesus, we're not actually seeing the kingdom come. The kingdom comes through the king. The kingdom of God comes to earth through Jesus Christ. But even though that's true and we must share the gospel, how did Jesus live his life? I'm reminded of John 5. If you're with us through, through, through John, what did Jesus do? There's a guy that had been lame. His legs didn't work for over 30 years, and he heals him. And he says, get up your, take up your mat and walk and go home. You don't want to stand here and beg anymore. I've healed you. Praise God. Then what's this guy do? He go, the Pharisees call him in, and they want to find out who healed him. Not because they're really impressed by the miracle, but why? Because Jesus, because a person healed him on the Sabbath. Because he did work on the Sabbath. Breaks my heart to see the brokenness of, of, of the, the human heart, the hardness of a heart. And they say, who healed you? And he says, well, I don't know. I just know I'm healed. They're like, okay. So the guy leaves. Jesus comes back to him later. We don't know how long it was, but Jesus comes back to him later. And I love this because Jesus says, look, you are well, exclamation point. Look it up in scripture, John 5. There's an exclamation point. Jesus isn't like, oh, look, you're well. He's like, look, you're well. Jesus is fired up. And then what does he say to him? Listen, you're now well. Go and sin no more. I guarantee that was a longer conversation about turning what Jesus always says, turn from your sin, turn to the Father and be well. Find him there. That's what Jesus proclaimed. Turn to the Father, turn to God, turn away from your sin. Do you remember what this guy did? He went back to the Pharisees who he knew were looking for Jesus to persecute him and he said, oh yeah, Jesus did it. We look at that story like he went back and like, oh, Jesus did it. No, because after that it says, and after this, they began to actively persecute Jesus. Jesus did the greatest thing that ever happened to this man, and he went back to the people that he knew were going to go after him. And it, this man who had been healed going back to tell them led to the persecution that was going to lead to Jesus' death. Jesus did a good thing just because it was a good thing. And he did it knowing that this guy was going to go back to the Pharisees and tell on him. Now, we can argue that was all part of God's plan. Yes and amen, it was. But also, Jesus just helped people, and some listened, and some didn't. And some followed him, and some didn't. And some appreciated it, and some didn't. And that's what it means to show the love of Jesus. Some are going to basically turn around and in some way spit in our face after we help them. And you know what we do? We love them. And some people are going to be like, that's really cool. I'm not interested in the God thing, but it's really cool what you guys are doing. Can I be a part? And we're like, yeah, in the appropriate way. Yeah, let's be a part. And some people are going to believe in Jesus Christ. They're going to become disciples, and we're going to get to teach them to obey and what it means to know that Jesus is always with them and praise God for that. We're just faithful, and we just go on the mission that God has called us to. We need to go. And so how do we do that here? In your circles in your neighborhoods, in this mission field that God gave us. And then we go to the nations. Like I said before, we've been to Africa. We've been, to, well, 
Ethan and Julie have been to, to Africa. We've been to Mexico. We've been to Haiti as a church. We support missionaries, have and do support missionaries in the Middle East, in South Asia, in Africa, that are specifically going to unreached people groups. Listen, Jesus says he's coming back when every tongue, tribe, and nation has heard the gospel. Well, let's, let's go like, try to make that day come faster. I'm not saying we can control God, but listen, let's just go to the nations and do what God said and take, take the gospel to unreached people groups. That's what we want to do. We want to find a long-term partner where we can share the gospel with unreached people. And so we're looking for the next long-term partnership. We're talking with Ethan and Julia about Africa. I think there's going to be teams going back with them. I don't know if that's going to be our long-term partner or not. We're praying through that and we're working through that now. But I think people are definitely going to be going to Africa because you know what they're doing? They're reaching unreached people. And in, in some way or another, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of supporting missionaries who do this. And some of you right now, I, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray. We don't even know where we're going yet. I need you to pray and, uh, and just ask God this. Am I supposed to go? You don't have to pray about whether you're supposed to share the gospel or not. That is God's will. Boom, done. You now know. You know the will of God. Share the gospel. Amen. Done. But we're not all, not every person in this room, I don't think, is supposed to go overseas to the next long-term partnership. You're supposed to stay here and, and pour into your family, pour into your community, pour into your neighbors, and be on the mission that's right here. But some of us need to go. And some people, like Javi, never d dreamed they would go. And Javi, well, I mean, we couldn't keep him from going back. We're like, Javi, okay, you can go back. It's fine, right? And some of you need to be praying about going. God, do you, do you want me to go? Do you want me to be willing to go overseas? Listen, do you want me to take my kids with me? Protect your kids. Your kids aren't. If you get called to do something here, we, we even think this on the north side, your kids aren't missionaries. If you feel like you're called to be a missionary and go, short-term, long-term, or whatever, go. But your kids aren't the missionaries. Your kids are just your kids. They're not spiritually mature enough to bear the weight of trying to be a missionary, right? So you have to do what's best for your kids. But listen, don't let your kids be your idol and protect them above everything else and put this bubble around them. Do you know how much value has come for my kids? Everything we've done in Tom Watkins' neighborhood from the beginning, they've been right there beside us. And they've got to be a part of pouring out their lives and serving other people and seeing it's not all about them. Do you know how much value that has? I'm not saying we did everything right. Don't hear that at all. But like our kids were always right there with us, seeing us trying to love other people other than ourselves and doing the things that scripture calls us to do. And I don't, I, this is not about me bragging on my kids, but I don't know if you've noticed, like my kids pour out for you all the time. Almost every meeting we ever had, our kids are watching your kids for free. Because they just love pouring out their lives. And so, I mean, not always. They're teenagers. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay. But listen, but like they, they, are, they are kids that have learned to pour out. Not because we're great parents, because we just follow the pattern of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's in them and God did the rest. And so even with that, even we got a lot of young families. Don't overprotect your kids from everything in this world. Listen, protect them. Make, them. make them a priority. Listen, your relationship with God and your family, that comes first. Yes and amen. Yes. Full support of that. Stop. I'm in full support of that. Stop. But, not but, but they can go on mission with you too. Here and maybe even there. I'm working on Keaton. I said, Keaton, you want to go to Africa with me? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? It's, I think it's mainly because she likes to sleep in her own bed and doesn't like weird food. But we're, we're working on that, right? Maybe she's not supposed to get, sorry. I usually don't talk about my kids without asking. My wife's like, mm-hmm. Anyway, you, we need to go. We need to go reach the unreached. And we need to make our families a part of that. And we need to make this family a part of that. And so that's where we're going as a church. Right now, through the rest of this fall and into the winter, we're going to be, we're going to be really focusing on discipleship 
and growing and getting healthy and unified and spiritually mature and ready. And the next spring, we want to do things like launch a new Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association. We want to do things like really re-engage the neighborhood and really think through that, like, how do we do that? How do we find partners? How do we do this well? How do we keep engaging with Williams in a way that is meaningful and not just church people doing nice things? You know, how can we engage in the neighborhood in a way that, that, that helps people lead people to Jesus? Like, I just talked about this with Mark the other day. Like, we had, a, we had a conversation starting off, like, how do we build a structure in our church? Like, a system, really, where we help you to neighbor well. Like, we help you to love your, your neighborhoods and your places right where you are, where you feel empowered by it and not super intimidated by it, right? We want to talk about that as a church family, how we do that well. It's something what we want to do next spring, where we don't add something else you're supposed to do, but in your rhythm of life, in the place that you live, and the people around you, just engage in more meaningful ways that don't add a bunch of time, but just you feel empowered to have gospel conversations. That's where we're going, church. That's where we're focusing. That is the mission that God gave us. That is what we're going to be relaunching, discipleship right now but into the late winter, early spring next year, moving forward in all these things and living into the truth of what God's called us to, to go and make disciples. Or as we say at Freshwater, to advance the gospel. Church, let's do beautiful things like rebuild the Tom Hawkins Neighborhood Association. Let's, let's do beautiful things like letting people know in, in a place of such darkness, goodness, but such darkness that there's people that care about them and love them no matter what. Let's, let's show people the love of Jesus Christ in your families, in your circles, in your neighborhood, in the neighborhood right here. Let's go to the nations and go to people who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ and tell them about our beautiful Savior. Church, let's go and make disciples together. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what an unbelievable example you've left for us. Jesus, that you left a place beyond safe. You, you left heaven. You left your glory. You left your kingdom to come to us, to come down to us so that you could share the gospel, of, uh, the gospel with us. You are the gospel, Jesus. You came to share yourself with us so that we might know you, that we might know God, we might know who we are. What a beautiful example. God, help us to follow it, to be willing to leave our comfortable, safe places to go tell people about you. Holy Spirit, I just beg you today. I cry out to you today on our behalf because this is so hard in the world that we live in now. We can make excuses, but this is a command you've given us. But God, you wouldn't talk about it so much and encourage us so much if you didn't know that this is a difficult thing. And so, God, I pray that you continue to grow us and give us a desire and grow our spiritual maturity to the place that, that we just almost can't help but talk about you at times. And so, God, right now, I pray that you'd use discipleship and growth at our church to grow us in that spiritual maturity so that that, that health would bubble up in, in us and out of us into other people so that when we have conversations at work or at home or with family or at basketball games or with our neighbors or across the street here in Tom Watkins' neighborhood, that we just couldn't help but talk about you because you are hope. You are love. You are salvation. God, give us a heart by the power of your spirit within us. Take care that there's people across the street that are going to go to hell. And then you've given us the answer, the remedy, the salvation to that truth. God, help us to take seriously, help to convict and stir and grow us in the truth that you've, you've made it so that we are the hope of the world, your church. That through you, we are your hands. 
We are your ministers of reconciliation. We are your royal priests. We are your feet going into the the mountains proclaiming the beautiful news of the gospel. That it's people just like me and just like everyone in this room that you want to use to do this amazing thing. God, I, I beg you that you would use us to do it, that we could see people saved, that we could see people baptized, and we could see people welcomed into the family of God. Lead us in that. We'll make our plans, God, but you direct our steps. Give us wisdom. Give us desire to go out and share the goodness of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.